Well, good morning once again. I first want to thank everyone who came out to uh, help decorate this beautiful sanctuary with all the different Christmas decorations. It, it looks absolutely fantastic. So thank you for taking time out of your busy Saturday to come and make this space beautiful and inviting. So right now we're in a series called The Carols of Christmas. And last week Sean hit uh, week one and this is week two and we're looking at the carol, O Come All Ye Faithful, as we sung earlier. This hymn is taken from Matthew 2.11. It is the wise men who were faithful in their travels and devotion to God to come and follow the star and obey God by coming to see in the baby Jesus and delivering gifts. The author of this hymn is John Francis Wade. Uh, he was born in England uh, in 17, or he was born in England, and then in 1745 he had to flee England and he fled to France uh, due to uh, great persecution during this time. He was a Catholic layman, um, but because of the persecution, he had to leave. He had to flee. He was he was a college or he was a Catholic college music professor. Uh, so, so that's what he did, and he couldn't support himself financially once he fled, so he decided to become a music copyist. He began to translate some hymns, and he began to write some hymns himself. And uh, he, this hymn was originally written in Latin, and I, as I will try to give you the beginning phrase in Latin, no promises here on the correct pronunciation, but just go with me on this one. Uh, Adeste... Fidiles lati triumphantes. So that's the, that was the beginning phrase in Latin. It was obviously later translated to English, and that is now the hymn you have today sitting in your, uh, in your pew book. Uh, so in, in regards to the O Come All Ye Faithful, we're going to talk about faithfulness. We're going to talk about faith in general. Now, faith, what is faith? Well, according to the dictionary, it is a complete trust or confidence in someone or something. People use the word faith. We throw it around a lot. It's on a lot of signs. People for sports say it all the time. You know, I have faith. I have faith that my team's going to win. I have faith in this. I have faith in that. But, but are we using faith out of context? Are we using it in something that we really shouldn't be using that word in? There's a thing that a lot of, I did at least in 6th and 7th and 8th grade, and many of the students I'm sure have have done it before. Maybe some of you have done it. It's called the trust fall. Okay? The trust fall works like this. I would get some demonstrators up here and they would prove my point well, but I don't want to embarrass anybody, so we're not going to do that. So the trust fall, you have two individuals. The first person will be the receiving individual, and they stand there with their arms out wide, and they're just waiting for the person in front of them to fall back. So their only job is to catch the person who falls. Now you got the person in front, which is here, and, and, and they're like, oh, are you going to get me? Yeah, I got you. And they put their arms out, and they literally just keep their legs completely locked, and you just fall straight backwards. I mean, literally, you're just all the way back with the hope and trust in that individual that they are going to fully catch you, that they're going to catch you, no matter what. You, you know this person. You're like, I trust them. That's why it's called the trust fall. And when they fall, I'm going to catch them. Now, what normally happens is the first time they do it, they go, okay, you got me. I was just testing you, man. I was just testing you, making sure you're, you're not leaving me or nothing, right? Because you need a lot of ibuprofen the next morning. You do something like that. And they do it again, and 
Uh, and, and the people, it's really difficult for people to actually let completely go. Now, I'm not recommending you try this at home with your spouse because they drop you. I'm not liable for that. So, so don't try it at home, but you can look it up on YouTube or something. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's a trust fall. And the point of this is you're not looking at the individual. You're not, you're not sitting there staring at them and saying, okay, I'm going to fall forward, now catch me. It's completely, you're not looking at them. There's no connection. There's no eye connection. You just literally have to trust that individual to catch you. That would be complete trust or confidence in someone to completely let yourself go and hope that you don't smash your head open. So here in the Old Testament and the New Testament, faith is faith and faithfulness, they're logically and they're linguistically connected here. Faith here, it indicates in scriptures that it's more than just a momentary act. It's more than just a momentary assent to the truth of God. Instead, what is it? It's a commitment to that truth and it manifests itself through obedience. Faith manifests itself through obedience. And Abraham's life uh, in regard to this is very instructive. His life, we can learn a ton about faithfulness from Abraham as he, he assented to, he relied upon, he acted in conformity to the word of God. He, he, he demonstrated faith through listening to God through the different times in which God spoke to him. Uh, I mean, he left his home. He left his country. He settled in a strange land. He offered up his son Isaac as a sacrifice to God because God commanded him to. I mean, that alone is an unparalleled expression of what faithfulness is in the Old Testament. I think about when I read that story, I think about would I have the faithfulness to listen to God and, and take my son somewhere that, where he could be killed? Like, do I have the faith in God to do something like that? Because I love my son. And that would be extremely extremely difficult to even fathom. And the fact that he went up on that mountain knowing the whole time as he's walking with his son, his son's carrying the wood and they're carrying all this stuff for it, that my son could die because God commanded me to do this. So that is an unparalleled expression of what faithfulness is. So, so Abraham, uh, he's commanded or commended for his steadfastness uh, and his faithfulness to God but like we said, faithfulness, it is not a one-time isolated act. It's not, yes, I have faith. It's no, are you faithful? Are you going to live a life of faithfulness? It's not an isolated act, but instead it, is, it should be something that's characterized in our lives. Our lives should be characterized by faithfulness. At the end of our lives, we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not, hey, well done, I'm proud of you for that one moment that you committed your life and you had faith in me. That was great. Appreciate it. We'll see in heaven. No, he wants to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful throughout your life while you were in Christ. So we're going to look at the life of Abraham and faithfulness that has been displayed in Scripture. But first, I want to look at, uh, at faithfulness in Scripture in Galatians. So point number one is faithfulness is a fruit that must be nurtured. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It was enunciated by the Lord himself that a tree could be recognized by its fruit, right? That would be, I mean, it's kind of simple to us. We're like, well, if, obviously if a tree has an apple on it and plenty of them and they are connected to the source, it's an apple tree. It's pretty simple for us, right? Um, so whatever the fruit on it and what it bears is what the tree is. So the presence of fruits in our lives, so the presence of these things in our lives shows that the Spirit is living inside of us. 
the fruits that are on us and possess in our lives, it shows that the Spirit is in us. Just like what he was showing to the Galatians while he was writing this. But it's interesting here that Paul does not use the term spiritual gifts. He doesn't say, faithfulness is a spiritual gift. Love, joy, peace, these are spiritual gifts. I wonder why. Well, perhaps it's because fruit of the Spirit cannot be simulated. It cannot be made up. Where gifts of the Spirit can be. Look at Matthew 7, verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Did we not do many miracles? But the next verse says, Get away from me, you evildoers. I do not know you. But hold on, didn't they just say that they didn't prophesy? They did prophecy? And they casted out demons? And miracles were happening? Gifts of healing were happening? Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Those can be simulated. Gifts of prophecy can be simulated. Some of the gifts of the Spirit can be simulated. Fruits of the Spirit cannot be simulated. You cannot fake faithfulness. You cannot fake love. You cannot fake patience. That is for sure you cannot fake patience. If anybody can fake patience, let me know. Okay? You cannot fake these things, right? Because fruits of the Spirit cannot be simulated, but instead, gifts of the Spirit can be Simulated. So faithfulness is a fruit that must be nurtured. It's something that we can do. It is something that we can nurture because the Spirit is living inside of us, and that is what it is, a fruit of the Spirit. Right? So now we're going to read our main text for the day, which is Hebrews 11, 8 through 11. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. He stayed there as a foreigner. Oh, never mind. Yeah, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself was unable to have children, to receive power to conceive offspring, even though she was past age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Point number two, faithfulness grows through obedience in Christ. So faith, faithfulness is a fruit that must be nurtured, and how do you grow and how do you nurture that? Well, you grow it, your fruit grows and is enhanced through Obedience, because God is faithful, because he can be completely relied upon, which I hope we would all agree, he is completely worthy, and he can attain all things, right? His people are to be faithful too. You are enabled to be faithful because you have the Spirit. Because the Spirit is living inside of you, it enables you to be faithful. Obviously, it's not to the complete degree that Christ was faithful, and that God the Father is perfect. We obviously can't attain that, but we can be Faithful. The life of Abraham, it begins in Ur of the Chaldeans where uh, Abraham lived. He lived in a comfortable home in pleasant circumstances. Archaeology has disclosed that Ur is located not too far from Babylon, which if you're familiar with those uh, ancient cities, it was a prosperous city with lovely homes, beautiful parks, and public buildings. It's beautiful. It's wealthy. Abraham was comfortable and he was secure living in Ur. Obviously, that most of us probably would be. 
but it is also it was a very wicked, wicked city where pagan sacrifices were done and even human sacrifices were done in this city. So it was a place where his faithfulness, his faith could not be nurtured. So according to Genesis 12, 11, God directed Abraham to leave Ur, to leave his kindred, to leave everything behind and go dwell in tents. Okay, I don't know about you, but if you live in a house and you have like, you know, your family and all your things, right, finances, everything here, and God says, hey, I want you to go leave everything and just go live in a tent. Go live in a tent in the middle of nowhere. Most of us would be like, you're crazy. That is not the spirit. That is the devil. It is not the spirit. We know it ain't the spirit. There ain't no way. That's crazy. Right? But that's what he was told to do. So Abraham started out with his father and his nephew Lot, and they only got as far as Haran. Only when his father died did he move into the promised land with Lot. And then we come to... Hebrews 11, 8, right, where he says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place that would later be his, his possession, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He had no idea. He, was, he did not know where he was going. So, so neither Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob were able to settle permanently in this land that God had promised to them. Abraham, he went there by faith. Think about this. He did not know. He would not get the result. He would not reap the benefits of all his faithfulness into the promised land. And neither did several generations down the line. They did not reap the benefits of living in this promised land, this land that God had called them to. So he went there by faith, he lived there in faith, and he believed in a promise of a possession that would not be fulfilled for many generations down the line. His faithfulness led to, uh, to telling his children, right, hey, just so you know, God has promised us this land. He has promised us a promised land. Hold on fast to the promises of God. Be faithful to God and his promises. That is a lifelong dedication. The dedication of faithfulness to the Lord that Abraham showed God that he went somewhere knowing he would never reap the benefits. He would never see the benefits of the promised land. Could we do that? Could we as individuals, could we be that faithful to God to know that, hey, we are not going to receive the benefit. We're not going to see the goodness and the fruit that comes out of this particular situation, but instead I'm still going to be faithful to God in everything. Faithfulness is shown through Abraham. It comes from a lifelong dedication and commitment to the Lord. He was not faithful in one act. It wasn't one act that we're all like, man, Abraham was so faithful. What a faithful man on that one day. No. It was his lifelong dedication and commitment to the Lord. In what ways can we be faithful until Christ returns? What are things in your life that you know you need to stay faithful in despite the opposition of the world? When we look into our hearts, in what ways are we being obedient to God, which would nurture our faithfulness? What ways are, are, we, are we trying to live as Christ and obeying the Father and nurturing our faith and faithfulness towards God? But on the contrary, what are things that we're being disobedient to God in and struggling in? What sins are we battling against and fighting against that could slowly be tearing down the faithfulness fruit? And not instead of nurturing it, it's squinching it. There may be things in, in your life right now that are squinching your faithfulness to God because you cannot let go of them. 
So point two, faithfulness grows through obedience in Christ. Point three, faithful people focus on what is eternal. If we look at Hebrews 11 again, he obeyed by faith and went out in Ur, and he went and lived in tents, looking at verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. That city would be the city in which God lives, and the city in which God dwells, the city of heaven. He was looking forward to, he obeyed by faith, and was looking forward to eternal things. And what if we all lived like individuals who were excited and looking forward to eternity? What would it look like to, to live a life where we knew that this place was not our, our end result? That, that the earth that we live in is not it. When you die, it is not over. You are not just stuck in a grave. You are not just buried there and that's it. But you actually go somewhere else. What if we lived with an eternal mindset? How often, and just be honest with yourself, how often do you think about heaven? How often? For most of us, it's not very often. Because typically we are too consumed with right now, with here and now, and we don't look towards things that are eternal. How important it is for those who believe in Christ and who have faith in Christ to recognize that earthly possessions and earthly things are simply that. They are earthly. Things, they are going to fade so quick. And we are in a season of Christmas where we just had Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and Cyber Week, and all these other crazy weeks, and we spent like a, a world record of like $5 billion. It's all going to fade away, friends. All of it. All of it. Think about it. What if like one-eighth of that went to like world missions? Like, I mean, think about the gospel and how that would just absolutely be radical, right? But instead, our country goes and spends, you know, $5 billion or $3 billion. It doesn't matter. Three, four, five billion, it doesn't matter. It's ridiculous. It doesn't even matter. Those things are so temporary. The things on this earth are so temporary, and faithful people are looking forward to something else. They're looking to please God and, and looking to, and to do that instead of focusing on what is so temporary. This world we live in is so Temporary. We need to focus on things that are eternal. Being faithful to God also means not putting things above Him. Right? The Bible calls this idols. Anything you worship or give a God-like status to would be considered an idol. An idol isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right? Well, sports are not a bad thing. I love sports. It's not a bad thing. Work. It's not a bad thing. Your family your friends, your retirement, they're all good things. I'm grateful for you that you have them. But anything that puts itself over God becomes an idol, and it all of a sudden becomes a terrible thing. And it's, it can be detrimental to your spiritual health, to your family health, to your marriage, if you're having idols in your heart. John Calvin puts it as, is our hearts are an idol factory. Think about that. Our hearts are an idle factory. I don't know about you, but a factory keeps cranking out things. 
Time after time, it's a machine. It's just boom, 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 one after another. And that is literally how our hearts are. We are so engulfed in sin in general as, as people that no matter what, I mean, think about a kid. They want, they want one thing, and then they, they're like, this is all I need, this is all I need, I promise, I'll be done asking forever. They get it, and what happens? I'm telling you, that was super cool, but this is even better. I need this thing, I need it. And it's just one thing after another. Our hearts are just one thing after another. One thing goes in place of God, and then we're like, okay, we'll, we'll clear that up, we'll fix that up, and then what happens next? The same thing happens, and we're like, but now it's something else, and now we're fighting that, and like, why am I putting this in place of God? I have no idea, but I need to, I need to get rid of this. Our hearts are idle factories. When you wake up in the morning, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? In a book I read uh, regarding idols, it was probably one of the most convicting books I've ever read by a pastor I very well respect. He said, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you think about? Is it the previous sports scores that happened last night that you fell asleep on? Is it your retirement and hoping that it went up 10 bucks today? Is it, what is it? It's something. When you, when you wake up, you think about something first, obviously. Is it Christ? Is it the gospel? Is it missions? Is it obeying the Lord in all things? Or is it stuff? Whatever comes to your mind first is most likely what is an idol in your life. Whatever you think of first is most likely an idol. So be thinking about that. I pray for all of us that all of us would wake up in the mornings and be like, man, I'm telling you what, I hope the gospel advances mightily today. I pray that the gates of hell are shaken and are busted down today because people in our church, in our community, and in our world went and shared the message of Jesus Christ and many people come to know him. Obviously, that would be my hope and prayer for all of us to wake up in the morning. I know I don't wake up first thing in the morning thinking that every single morning. But I pray that we would be people who focus on eternal things and don't have idols built up in our hearts and weighing us down. Point four, God wants your faithfulness. He doesn't need your faithfulness to be who he is. He doesn't need it at all, but he wants your faithfulness. The most faithful person to ever live is not Abraham, although he is, is a great model for uh, faithfulness and that his lifelong dedication to God was, was marvelous and wonderful and he did some things that I, wouldn't, <laughs> I would hope that the Lord wouldn't put me in that situation because that would be a severe test of faithfulness. Um, and he's a great model. But there's an even greater model of Jesus who is a man who lived a perfect, sinless life who was completely and utterly faithful to the Father, even unto death. Things that I cannot even imagine. Thinking about right now, just the different uh, people in the last six months who have been persecuted in other countries for their faith, even unto death. Some of these people, we would call them martyrs, right, have, have been out and have been sharing the gospel and have gotten kidnapped by groups, whether it's ISIS or, or other groups, and and, and what happens is they get one question. Here's the question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Now, that's the same question Pastor Shano asked you in a baptism interview 
and right back there in the baptismal. Now, when you say yes back there, what happens? <laughs> Woo! We're all excited. We're ecstatic. Wow, we have another follower. We have another brother or sister in Christ who is now one of us. They belong to the kingdom of God. And that is wonderful and marvelous. And that's the one question we will ask you here. On the contrary, you're being persecuted, you're kidnapped somewhere else, and they give you one question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Now for them, for here, you're like, yes, 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 yes. For them, you're like, you know, right when you say, yeah. that's it. I mean, that is absolutely it. And we've seen people who say, yes, I am. And then they're gone. But it's because they are being faithful unto the Father, even unto death. I mean, that's the situation that when I think about it in my own head, I'm like, yeah, I would easily... I'd be like, yup! But I got a feeling it's a little different being actually there and being sitting there with your hands tied behind your back and a gun to your head. I'm sure the yes would be a little more difficult then than for me to stand up here and say yes. But Jesus was faithful to the Father the complete time he was on earth. He didn't disobey the Father one time. His faith was nurtured. Obviously, it was complete faith when it says he was the Trinity, but he was completely obedient at all times, even unto death. Reading Hebrews 3, 5 through 6. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's household, as a testimony to what would have been said in the future. But Christ, that's why I love the New Testament. They're like, blah, 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 blah. But Christ, it's beautiful. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And we are that household if we hold on to the courage and the confidence of our hope. And the confidence of our hope would be Christ and his death, his burial, his resurrection, his great love for us, that he died for us, that while we were still sinners, we can come to know him because he loved us that much. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household, over the church. And we are that household. Jesus desires to have your faithfulness as he is continually faithful to you. He will never leave you. He will never desert you. And the first step to growing in faithfulness, as we said, it's, it's obedience. It is you grow and is nurtured. It's a fruit that must be nurtured. And to be nurtured, it grows through obedience. So the first step in growing in faithfulness is to repent and believe in Christ. I mean, that would be the first way to grow in obedience to God. Now, for the believers here, repent and believe in Christ. You would already believe, but there's still some, you know, some sins that are always sitting right in our hearts that we have not confessed yet, that we have not tried to get rid of because it's a little more difficult for us to get rid of those. But he is calling us to. And for the people who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is your time and opportunity to know that Jesus came to die on a cross that you Deserve to pay the penalty that you deserve and that I deserve and that we all deserve, but instead he took it for us. The first step is to repent of your sins and obey Christ and follow him. There may be some of you who, who are like, they have a lot of the Apostle Peter in you, right? Telling Jesus that, hey, I will not deny you. By no means will I ever deny you. Never. 
never, even unto death, I will not deny you. I won't do it. But as soon as adversity hits, you run straight for the back doors. Run straight out them doors, straight in your car, and you are gone to Montana. But Christ's future work on the cross would pay the complete penalty for Peter's sin, for his pride, for his ignorance, for his shame. While Peter had been ashamed of the truth, Jesus would bear the name and the shame of the truth that we would believe of the gospel. While Peter was unfaithful, Jesus was uncompromisingly faithful. He was faithful in everything. Throughout the entire time in Scripture, he has been faithful. Now, we obviously all have our moments where we overestimate our faith and feel like we, are, we have to be the most spiritual individuals on this planet. I mean, come on, I read my Bible with a candlelight. I mean, are you telling me I'm not the most spiritual individual? That's not me, by the way. But um, you, you overestimate your devotion to God. You trust yourselves instead of God's word and deny the one that you love. Now, there might not be a rooster crow for you, and there probably won't be to break the silence of pride because that rooster crow hit him square in the face. If you read scriptures, he was like, we might not all have that rooster crowing, but how sweet is the sound of amazing grace. How sweet is the sound that the grace of Jesus Christ can be lavished upon you by faith and obedience in Him. The trial that would lead to Christ's death would become the catalyst for His resurrection and the anchor to which we can all hold fast. I love that song we sing. Christ the sure and steady anchor. It's beautiful. I spoke at, um, at Connor Middle School a couple, uh, probably two or three weeks ago, and I, we read 2 Timothy 2.13. When I read it the first time, it's super encouraging to me, but I was praying it would be super encouraging for the students as well, and I pray the same thing for you, that this would be encouraging to you. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So if we are faithless, let's take the if out of there. Okay? Because let's just be real with ourselves. We are all faithless at times. We all are. We all are. Put your pride down for a second and just acknowledge you have areas and times which you are faithless. And some of you may be burdened by that today and feel faithless today and feel defeated today. But what's it say? So... We are faithless, and because we are faithless, even though we are faithless, God, He remains faithful. Why does He remain faithful despite our faithlessness? Why? Because He cannot deny Himself. What does that even mean? It means that He is so faithful in His, in his character and in His attributes that He is faithful all the time. He cannot not be faith, faithful. It's impossible for Him to be faithless. It's impossible for Him to do that. So if we are faithless, which we are, he remains faithful. He cannot go against his self. It's impossible. God is forever faithful. Are you faithful back? Are you faithful in return? He died on a cross 
by being faithful to the Father, even unto death. Are we that faithful? Do we have, do we have the ability to be that faithful? Yes. Why? Because the Spirit enables us to do so. It's just like the trust fall. How dependent are you on God? When things get tough, do you feel confident enough to put your arms out, have no restraint, and just fall back and land in the arms of Jesus? Do you have that ability, that, that confidence in Christ, that complete trust in Him, that you can do that? Some of you need to be faithful to God through repentance and faith. Maybe you've never done that before. You're like, I don't even know what that even looks like. That just sounds difficult. It's not difficult. Jesus calls you, because of his death and resurrection, to believe, repent, and be baptized. Some of you need to be faithful to God through baptism. Maybe you've never done that yet, but you're capable of doing it. Maybe it's time for you to be faithful in that. Maybe it's time for you to be faithful in church membership. Maybe you haven't joined the local body, and the local body is what Christ died for. He died for individuals who would be a part of the whole, to be a part of his body, to, to work. And we all have different parts of that body, and we're all members of the same body. So faithfulness is a fruit that must be nurtured. The fruit grows through obedience. And faithful people look forward to eternity. They get focused on eternal things, things that matter, such as the fruits of the Spirit. And God wants, doesn't need, He wants your faithfulness. As we sing this next song, I we pray that you would respond in whatever way that is. Maybe it's to talk about salvation and faith for the first time. Maybe it's to talk about baptism and setting that up. Maybe it's about church membership. Or maybe you just need to respond and come to the front and just pray that, that the Lord would search your heart of any idols that are there that are, that are holding you back to being faithful to God and being a good faithful of the gospel in which he has given you in great joy. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. God, we praise and worship your name, God, that you are faithful, even though we are so faithless. We struggle all the time, day after day, with faith. Lord, help our unbelief. Help us, Lord, in our darkest hours. Pray, Lord, that you would be with us. Pray, Lord, for everyone in this congregation, that you would grow us in faithfulness and devotion to you and to your son, Jesus Christ, who is faithful for all 33 years of his life while on earth and will always be because he cannot deny himself. We thank you for who you are and we love you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Sing with me. Even so, come Lord Jesus, come.
right, a couple announcements again before we leave. Don't forget, Hanging of the Greens is tonight at 6.30. Be here if possible. There's no choir practice.